Section 8 of Stories of Starland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories of Starland by Mary Proctor. Stories of the Summer Stars. It was a glorious night in June, and the stars sparkled like gems against the dark background of the sky. Harry was enjoying the scene, as the doctor had allowed him to spend the warm summer evenings out on the lawn in front of the house. This was a royal treat to him. He could see all the sky at once, he said to his sister, and could look at the stars while she told him stories about them. First of all, there was the Great Dipper in the north, and the Little Dipper, with the Pole Star. He was surprised when his sister said that the Great Dipper formed part of the group of stars known as the Great Bear, and he listened intently while she related the story as told in olden times by the Grecians. Legends of the Great Bear The Great Bear was said to be Callisto, the beautiful daughter of Lycaon, king of Arcadia. Juno, the wife of Jupiter, was jealous of Callisto, and threatened to destroy her beauty. Fearing that Juno would harm her, Jupiter changed her into a bear. Her arms grow shaggy and deformed with hair, her nails are sharpened into pointed claws, her hands bear half her weight and turn to paws. Her lips, that once could tempt a god, begin to grow distorted in an ugly grin, and, lest the supplicating brute might reach the ears of Jove, she was deprived of speech. Callisto had a son named Arcas, who became a great hunter. One day he roused the bear in the chase, and not knowing that it was his mother, was about to kill her, when Jupiter, taking pity on them both, changed Arcas into the little bear. Who was Jupiter? asked Harry. In the olden times he was supposed to live on the top of Mount Olympus with his beautiful wife Juno. When Jupiter was angry with people, it is said he would hurl thunderbolts at them, and when he was pleased, he placed them after death among the stars. So he was pleased with Callisto and her son, said Harry. So the story says, replied Mary, but he also seemed to be afraid of his jealous wife Juno. A modern Greek legend gives another account of this constellation or group of stars. It is supposed that at one time the sky was made of glass and it touched the earth on both sides. It was soft and thin, and someone nailed a bare skin upon it and the nails become stars, and the tail is represented by the three bright stars known as the handle of the Great Dipper. Another story is told about a princess who was turned into a bear on account of her pride in rejecting all suitors. For this, her skin was nailed to the sky as a warning to other proud maidens. Would you like to hear what the Indians tell about the Great Bear? asked Mary. Indeed I should, replied Harry. I had no idea the Indians looked at the stars. They spend so much time on the open plains that they cannot help noticing them, said Mary, and they tell many strange legends about them. The Iroquois Indians tell the following story about the great bear, which must have seemed like a bear to them, just as it did to the Grecians. Once upon a time, a party of hunters who were in pursuit of a bear were suddenly attacked by three monster stone giants who destroyed all but three of them. These, together with the bear, were carried up to the sky by invisible hands. The bear is still being pursued by the first hunter with his bow, the second hunter carries a kettle, and the third is carrying sticks wherewith to light a fire when the bear is killed.
Only in the autumn does the hunter pierce the bear with an arrow, and it is said that it is the dripping blood that tinges the autumn foliage. I like that story, said Harry. Don't you know another bear story? I can tell you one, replied his sister, that is told by the Fox Indians of Louisiana. In the days of long ago, the Indians believed that the trees were able to walk about at night and talk to each other. One dark night, as a bear was wandering homeward through a lonely wood, he was very much surprised to see the trees walking about, nodding their heads and whispering to each other. At first Mr. Bear thought it was only the wind, but where he saw a mighty oak before him, the next moment it was far behind him or on the other side of the road. Presently he happened to run against a tree. It was the oak, the lord of trees. The oak was angry and reached out one of its long branches and grabbed the bear by the tail. The bear struggled all night long to get away, and at last the oak, losing all patience, gave his tail a final twist and hurled him up into the sky. They say his tail was stretched in the struggle. Stories of the Great Dipper That is a funny story, said Harry, enjoying the account of Mr. Bear. Are there any stories about the Great Dipper? I wonder why it is called the Dipper. Because it is supposed to look like a dipper, replied Mary. You can see the four large stars representing the dipper, and the three stars that form the handle. It is known as the saucepan in the south of France, and in other pans of France it is called the chariot of David. In England it is called the plough, and sometimes Charles's wain, that means wagon. In Italy it is known as the car of Boots. Boots was supposed to be an ox driver and inventor of the plough, the dipper. One day the driver, oxen and plough were suddenly lifted off the earth and placed in the sky. You can see Boots now, and in front of him are the seven stars of the Great Dipper, which he must drive around the pole star for all eternity. A pretty story is told of a peasant who met our saviour near the shores of Galilee and gave him a ride in his wagon. As a reward he was offered a home in heaven, but he preferred to drive his wagon from east to west for all eternity, and his wish was granted. There stands his wagon in the sky, and the brightest of the three stars is called the rider. In North Germany, the rider is supposed to start out his journey before midnight and return twenty-four hours later, his wagon turning round with great noise. He urges on his horses with loud cries of hi, he, which it is said have sometimes been heard by lucky morsels. Hush, sister, said Harry softly. Let us see if we can hear him now. No, you could only hear him at midnight, replied his sister. That is, if the story were true. It is only like a fairy story, then, asked Harry. All these stories are fairy stories, replied Mary. And here is another. A Basque legend relates that a certain husbandman had two oxen stolen from him by two wicked thieves. He sent his laborer after them, but he did not return. Then he sent his housekeeper and his dog and finally he decided to go after the thieves himself. He was so angry that he lost his temper, and in punishment for the remarks he made, he was condemned to continue his search through the sky for all eternity. There you can see him now. The two oxen are the first two stars, then follow the two thieves, and lastly the two servants, the husband and the little dog. Where is the little dog? asked Harry. Look at the three stars in the handle of the dipper, replied Mary. Now look at the middle star, and if you have good eyes, you can see a little star close behind it. Here, look through this opera glass and you can see it better. I see it now, said Harry as he looked through the glasses. So that is the little dog? 
Yes, replied his sister, and the Arabians gave it the name of Alcor. Dear little Alcor, said Harry, as he continued looking at him, I am going to look for you every evening now, because I can see the Great Dipper from my window. So you can, replied Mary. I forgot that it faced north. The American Indians tell a quaint story about the Little Dipper. Would you like to hear it? If you are not tired, sister, said Harry. You will get tired first, for I enjoy telling you these stories, if they amuse you, dear. Well, here is one that I came across some years ago among a collection of Indian legends. Once upon a time, a party of Indians went out hunting in a strange country and lost their way. They wandered about for many moons. What does that mean? asked Harry. I suppose they did not know anything about our months, so they counted from full moon to full moon. This shows how much they observed the sky. But as I was saying, they wandered about for many moons, and at last the chiefs decided to hold a council and pray to the gods to show them the way home. During the dance that preceded the council, while the flames of burnt offerings were ascending to the gods, a little child appeared suddenly in their midst, and said she had been sent as their guide. She said she was the spirit of the pole star, and that if they followed where it led them, they would reach their home in the far north. The hunters thanked the child, and following her advice they soon reached home. Here they held another council, and decided to call the pole star, the star which never moves, by which name it is known among these Indians to this day. When the hunters died it is said they were taken up to the sky, and we can see them still following the pole star. The hunters are supposed to be the stars that form the Little Dipper. They are smaller than the stars of the Great Dipper, said Harry, and the Dipper is smaller, but I can see it quite well. And what are the stars between the two Dippers? Story of the Dragon They curve in and out like a great dragon, said Mary, and two bright stars mark its eyes. Yes, it does look something like a dragon, said Harry. What's its name? It is called a dragon and that was the name given to it by the Grecians long ago. This was supposed to be the dragon that Juno placed as guardian of a tree covered with golden apples. No one dared to touch the tree while the dread monster was there. But a brave man named Hercules was not afraid and killed the dragon. To reward it for guarding the tree, Juno placed it among the stars. See the two bright stars that mark the eyes of the dragon, and quite close to it is Hercules, represented in the olden maps as crushing the head of the dragon under his foot. Boots, who drives the great bear around the pole star, is very near Hercules. There you can see him, with his hunting dogs. Where, sister? I cannot see him, said Harry. Look right overhead, and to the west you will see Boots with a very bright star, and to the east is Hercules, or the Nila, as he is sometimes called. Now, in between, there is a pretty little half-circle of stars like a crown. This is called the Northern Crown. Stories of the Northern Crown I can see that very well, replied Harry, for it is exactly overhead, and I cannot help seeing Hercules and the bear driver. They are large enough, he continued laughing. Why are the little stars called the Northern Crown? This was supposed to be a beautiful crown of seven stars given by Bacchus to Ariadne, the daughter of Minos second king of Crete. Her crown among the stars he placed, and with an eternal constellation graced, the golden circle mounts, and as it flies, its diamonds twinkle in the distant skies. There is a pretty legend told about it by the Shawnee Indians. They call this group of stars the Celestial Sisters on account of the story, which is as follows. 
White Hawk was a great hunter, handsome, tall, and strong. One day, while wandering through the forest in search of game, he suddenly found himself on the borders of a prairie. It was covered with grass and flowers, and a ring was worn through the grass, without any path leading to or from it. White Hawk was surprised at this, so he hid behind some bushes and watched. Soon he heard high in the heavens, issuing from the feathery clouds, sounds of music quick descending, as if angels came in crowds. Looking up, he saw a small speck in the sky which gradually became larger and larger. It was a silver basket containing twelve beautiful maidens who leaped out as it touched the ground. They danced around in the ring, beating time on a silver ball. White Hawk gazed at the fairies in wonder, and rushing out from his hiding place, tried to capture the youngest and prettiest. But the sisters were too nimble for him, and jumping into the basket, they were soon far away in the sky. White Hawk was vexed. But he came again next day. This time he disguised himself as a rabbit, but one of the little sisters saw him creeping toward them. She gave the alarm just in time for them to escape. Next day, White Hawk disguised himself as a mouse and hid in the stump of a tree that he had moved close to the fairy ring. The sharp-eyed little fairy noticed that the stump was not in the same place and warned her sisters, but they only laughed at her. They even ran around it, striking it in fun. Out ran White Hawk, caught the youngest and prettiest, and took her home as his bride. For a while they were happy, but the celestial sister became homesick and longed for her sisters in the sky. One day, when White Hawk was out hunting, she made a silver basket, and taking it to the fairy ring, she stepped into it while she sang a magic chant. White Hawk was returning home across the fields just as the basket rose above the tops of the trees, and hearing the music, he knew what had happened. But his wife did not forget him, and her father sent for him and invited him to come to the sky, where he is now one of the bright stars shining near the northern crown. That must be the brightest star in boots, said Harry. What is it called? Arcturus, replied his sister. Near boots is Virgo, the virgin who lived on earth during the golden age when people were very good. Near her are the scales in which she weighed the good and evil deeds of men. Story of the Lion Just above the virgin in the west, you can see some stars that look like a sickle, said Mary. Harry looked in the direction pointed out by his sister, and there he saw the sickle plainly outlined by a few bright stars. Is there a story about it, sister? he asked. Yes, replied his sister, or rather there is a story not about the sickle, but about the group of stars to which it belongs, known as the constellation of the lion. You remember how jealous Juno was, and she was even displeased with a brave man named Hercules, because he was afraid of nothing. She told her cousin to command Hercules to bring him the skin of a fierce lion that roamed at large through the forests. Hercules was not afraid, and attacked the lion. Finding he could not kill it with his club and arrows, he strangled the animal with his hands. He returned home carrying the dead lion on his shoulders, but Juno's cousin was so frightened at the sight of it, and at this proof of the great strength of the hero, that he ordered him to tell the story of his brave deeds in future at a safe distance outside the town. What a coward Junius' cousin must have been, said Harry disdainfully. I suppose Hercules laughed at him. Of course he did, said Mary. But he was not the only brave man Juno disliked. Orion, the mighty hunter, also aroused her anger because he boasted that nothing could harm him. 
she sent a scorpion out of the earth, and it stung him, causing his death. See the heart of the scorpion, marked by a bright star named Antares. Above it is the serpent and the serpent holder. The Milky Way Now look at the band of silvery light reaching from the north to the south. That is the Milky Way, and it is made up of millions of bright stars. There are large stars and little stars, and Professor Barnard thinks that there may be some very small stars forming out the star mist. These little stars glitter in vast beds of glowing gas. As scientists believe, this gas is the matter from which worlds and suns are made. The stars at these points in space seem to be actually growing out of the star mist now surrounding them. I shall show you tomorrow some fine photographs Professor Barnard has taken of the Milky Way, where you can see the star mist in the background of the stars. According to a French legend, the stars in the Milky Way are lights held by angel spirits to show us the way to heaven. Grecians call the Milky Way the road to the palace of heaven. On the road stand the palaces of the illustrious gods, while the common people of the skies live on either side of them. Even the Algonquin Indians had something to say about it, for they believed that it was the path of souls leading to the villages in the sun. As the spirits travel along the pathway, their blazing campfires may be seen as bright stars. Longfellow refers to this in his poem Hiawatha, in describing the journey of Chibiabos to the land of the hereafter. While hunting deer, he crossed the big sea water and was dragged beneath the treacherous ice by evil spirits. By magic he was summoned thence, and hearing the music and singing, he came obedient to the summons, to the doorway of the wigwam, but to enter they forbade him. Through a chink of coal they gave him, through the door a burning firebrand. Ruler in the land of spirits, ruler over the dead they made him, telling him a fire to kindle, for all those who died hereafter. Campfires for their night encampments on their solitary journey to the kingdom of Ponema, to the land of the hereafter. A Swedish Legend According to the Swedish legend, there once lived on earth two mortals who loved each other. When they died, they were doomed to dwell on different stars, far, far apart. But as they sat and listened to the music of the spheres, they thought of building a bridge of light that should reach from star to star, till it spanned the distance separating them from each other. They toiled and built a thousand years in love's all-powerful might, and so the Milky Way was made a bridge of starry light. Now, Harry, look at the Milky Way in the northern part of the sky, and what do you see? asked Mary. Some stars that look like a W, replied Harry. And just below it is another but larger W. The small W is Cassiopeia, said Mary, and the large one is Cepheus, but I shall tell you their story another time, as it is getting late now. Under the large W, you will see some stars that look like a large cross. This is sometimes called the Northern Cross, but it is better known as the Swan. Legend of the Swan The Swan is supposed to represent a wonderful musician named Orpheus. Apollo gave him a magic harp, which he played with such sweetness that the wild beasts of the forest were tamed by its sounds, rapid rivers ceased to flow, and mountains and trees listened to the music. One day, Orpheus met a beautiful maiden named Eurydice, and won her for his bride. But their happiness did not last long, as a serpent lurking in the grass stung her foot, and she died of the wound. Orpheus mourned her sadly, until at last he died, and his spirit met hers in the kingdom of Pluto, 
Afterward, Orpheus and Eurydice were placed among the stars. You can see the harp beside Orpheus, and it is adorned with a sparkling blue star named Vega. And now one more story, said Mary, as she heard the church clock chime nine. And then we must say goodbye to the stars for tonight. It has been lovely, said Harry. I could listen to these stories all night long. How I shall enjoy the stars since you have told me so much about them. What are you going to tell me now? Just under the swan, can you see a bright star and a little star on each side of it? asked Mary. Harry looked, and after a few moments he found them. When his sister had made sure that he could see the star she meant, she began her story as follows. Meeting of the Star Lovers The Japanese call the Milky Way the Silver River of Heaven, and they believe that on the seventh day of the seventh month, 7th of July, the shepherd boy star and the spinning maiden star cross the Milky Way to meet each other. Vega, the bright star in the harp, is supposed to be the spinning maiden, and on the other side of the Milky Way, crossing over where you see the bright star and the little star on each side, you will find the shepherd boy, otherwise known as the goat. These stars are known among the Japanese as the boy with an ox and the girl with a shuttle, about whom the following story is told. There once lived on the banks of the Silver River of Heaven a beautiful maiden who was the daughter of the sun. Night and morning she was always weaving, blending the roseate hues of morning with the silvery tints of evening. That is why she was called the Spinning Maiden. The Sun King chose a husband for her. He was a shepherd boy who guarded his flocks on the banks of the celestial stream. After meeting him, the Spinning Maiden ceased to work and the bright hues of morning were left to take care of themselves, while the silvery tints of evening hung like ragged fringe on the dark mantle of night. The Sun King, believing that the shepherd boy was to blame, banished him to the other side of the silver river, telling him that only once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, could the spinning maiden come to see him. The king called together myriads of doves and commanded them to make a bridge over the river of stars. Supported on their wings, the shepherd boy crossed over to the other side. No sooner had he set foot on the opposite shore than the doves flew away, filling the heavens with their billing and cooing. The weeping wife and loving husband stood a while, gazing at each other from afar, and then they separated, one in search of another flock of sheep, the other to ply her shuttle during the long hours of daylight. Thus the days passed away, and the Sun King rejoiced that his daughter was busy again. But when night comes, and all the lamps of heaven are lighted, the lovers stand beside the banks of the starry river and gaze lovingly at each other, eagerly awaiting for the seventh day of the seventh month. As the time draws near, the Japanese are filled with anxiety. What if it should rain, for the river of heaven is filled to the brim, and a single raindrop would make it overflow? This would cause a flood and the bridge of doves would be swept away. But if the night is clear, then the spinning maiden crosses over in safety and meets her shepherd boy. This she does every year except when it rains. That is why the Japanese hope for clear weather on the 7th of July, when the meeting of the star lovers is made a gala day all over the country. Sister, I can see the spinning maiden star and the shepherd boy, but where is the bridge of doves? asked Harry. Across the Milky Way, said Mary. See the bright star, which is called Altair, and one little star on each side. We call that the eagle, 
So if you change the story a little, you can say the eagle takes the spinning maiden across the silver river of heaven. The Stars and the Violets When the sky was first made and suspended from the far and invisible bars, it enveloped the world and got fashioned, small windows and these are the stars. And the bits of sky through the evening fluttered down to the sod and the dew, and behold, in the morn they had blossomed, and these are the violets blue. The Nights Oh, the summer night has a smile of light, and she sits on a sapphire throne, where the sweet winds load her with garlands of butter, from the butter to the rose overblown. But the autumn night has a piercing sight, and a step both strong and free, and a voice for wonder, like the wrath of thunder, when he shouts to the stormy sea. And the winter night is all cold and white, and she singeth a song of pain, till the wild bee hummeth, and the warm spring cometh, when she dies in a dream of rain. Adelaide Proctor The Calling of the Stars God's presence through the twilight stillness glides, to spirits vocal, silent to the ear. He calls by name each fair star where it hides, and each star brightens, as it answers, Here! Though we too call the stars, they answer not, they do not softly come like children shy. At a fond parent's calling, for I what, we do not know what names God calls them by. End of section 8